Welcome to the Telos Podcast. My guest today is ex-intercounty hurler and eight-time All-Ireland winner, Owen Larkin. We discussed Owen's career, what it was like to be managed by Brian Cody, and how the Army helped shape his mindset. This podcast is sponsored by Kerrigan's Craft Butchers. I get all of my meat from Kerrigan's. Their stuff is absolutely class. If you want, you can get a 10% discount off all their products using the code MOVE on their website, kerrigans.ie. Well, we'll just start as we, as we are here. On, we are just finished from the Movement 101 studio, doing a session number, I don't know what it is, four or five maybe? Yeah, four, I Studio think, yeah. four, is it? Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling after the session? Good, good. Can't, can't wait to start getting into the nitty-gritty of getting the exercises done. Uh, obviously, feeling a lot of relief over the past number of months, so looking forward to seeing where this takes me. Well, that's where our relationship obviously kind of festered, but from you playing inter-county hurling for years and having like movement limitations and even pain to a certain degree that were affecting your day-to-day life, never mind your actual performance, but... Um, yeah, well, I suppose for people who don't know you, and every GA person probably does know who you are, give us a bit of background of who you are, what you do, where you come from. Yeah, look, Owen Larkin, uh, I've, I suppose I played hurling geez, since I uh, since I could pick up a hurl, but was lucky enough to be picked on the Kilkenny panel in 2005 and uh, lucky enough to go on and win all Ireland medals. Obviously retired now, retired now, maybe five or six years. So, um, like you said, uh, various injuries over the over the career and uh, movement limitations, which I wouldn't have been too aware of at the time, but okay. just dealing with stiffness and all that kind of stuff, and I just thought it was part and parcel of the, uh, par for the course. But um, obviously dealt with dealt with a bit of pain over a period of time in the career as well, and that's when I decided to get in touch. I suppose when I seen uh, what you were doing and 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 yourself and Rob were doing, and you know seeing that pain shouldn't be really there like so um so that's uh, when I got in touch I can't believe really <laughs> I went through my whole career uh, <laughs> with pain and I, I didn't have to you know so yeah um but yeah that's that's really a bit of background well there. look we'll definitely touch on that in terms of even what we, uh, we've done together and even maybe potentially talking around kind of the body and performance and GAA but you mentioned it there already you're obviously from Kilkenny and since you remember you're playing hurling I'm pretty confident that whenever I think of Kilkenny I think of hurling I think of people just coming out of the womb with a hurl like is yeah. like was there every, ever any other sport or, or chance that you had of not playing hurling? It's just what you do down there or, you know, for yourself, for your family. Yeah, look, I suppose I tried my hand on most things when I was young, when I was younger as well. But I think from a very early age, all I wanted to do was play hurling and play yeah. for the local club down there, James Stevens, and uh, play for Kenny then eventually. And that's, you know, from, from a very early on, early on, that was a big dream. And obviously to train ca- Captain Kenny was another big dream. And I was lucky enough to do that as well but look like I say I played a bit of soccer I was into boxing I was uh, pitching puck golf rugby I tried it all you know but I think there was only one love in my life and that was hurling and um, you know we were just talking there as well earlier on you know I did go through that patch of 14, 15, 16 that you know I could take or leave it but thankfully I I kept it up and uh, and I I ploughed on kind of and I got onto my club team then when I was uh, 20, maybe 19, 20, and things just spiralled out of control after that. Then uh, we won the club I learned uh, a year after that, and, and, and that's when Brian Coley asked me into Kilkenny team. And I suppose I spent the next 12 years then uh, 
relative regular on the team uh, until I retired then in 2016. Yeah, nice. The rest, as they say, is history. But in terms of then, like you growing up, and you, you mentioned it there about potentially kind of falling off at 13 or 14, were you like part of a hurting family or a background kind of like what about your, your parents or your yeah, siblings? Uh, yeah, parents and siblings probably wouldn't have been. Uh, they were into hurling but wouldn't have played a whole lot. Uh, grandfather played a bit um, and probably most notably I suppose uh, cousins of mine and cousins of my father's Fan Larkin, Philly Larkin and, and uh, Fan's father uh, they all played their three, three generations that won all Ireland medals uh, with Kilkenny as well so I suppose it's in the it's in the blood, not so much, you know, father or, or mother or that, but uh, hurling is definitely in the blood. And you, you mentioned there a little bit, and we were talking off podcast about it, about you, you nearly kind of swayed away, 13, 14, and potentially going down uh, with, with your mates and all and kind of going down an avenue that maybe wouldn't have got you to where you were today or the rest of your career. What kind of pulled you back in hurling? How, how do you think, or what would you kind of advise with parents? Or was there anything yeah, in particular? It's hard to know. I'd say probably... I'd say it was probably the fear of, of my father. Um, okay, okay. You know, of, I don't know, would it be upsetting him or getting on the wrong side of him, maybe. And what about then in terms of hurling? Was he like, he, he see you were skillful, you're obviously quite good at what you, you know, at yeah. playing the game. Was he, was he saw potential in that or was it just more you as a man? Yeah, I'd say probably a bit, bit of both because like my mother and father split up when I was quite young. So I, I spent an awful lot of time with my father and we'd be up in the hurling field Um you know, probably five, six nights a week he'd bring me up there when I was young and pucking around. So the love of the game really came from that. Um, and then, like, when I, when I got to that age, I'd say it was fear that, you know, if I go down the wrong path here, he's going to kill me. Okay, okay. Uh, so that kind of kept me on a small bit of uh, straight and narrow. And then, you know, once I got over that stage then, there was never going to be anything else then. You know, once you, once you decide then, look, this is what I want to do. And that's what it was, though. At that age, you were like, "This is like, was it a clear goal then of Kilkenny after around that age, or was it more development after that in your later teenage years?" Yeah, well, well, I think the the clear goal of Kilkenny, Kilkenny probably came real early on when I was maybe four or five, and then you know when I got to to taking or leave a stage, I just kept turning up for the club games and training and things like that. But then I go back and be with my mates and all that kind of stuff. And uh, once I once I kind of got in on that on the once I got over that stage, then I didn't really have any goals. I suppose R- really maybe got on the senior team in the in the club was the main goal. And you know, did I did I think I I would get to the heights that I got? Definitely not. And then, well, you did in the sense of like you know, as you said Brian Cody got you on the panel. And that was kind of the start of it. So once you get that call, once you're asked on, what are you thinking? Like let's rock and roll. I'm ready. Nervousness? Uh, nervousness to start off with and I'd say self-doubt for maybe two or three years. Uh, and does, does that affect performance in the sense of that first two or three years? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I always felt I wasn't good enough to be in there. Um, I'd be worried on a Friday night going over the train, you know, am I going to be playing? I'd be saying to my mother, I'd be trying to warn my mother and my wife and my father, look, I won't be playing tonight just in case, you know. And then I'd go over and I'd, I'd always be playing. And then... Uh, um, things changed then when I went overseas with the army in 2007 um, I was determined to come back a better player and better physically um, and I trained over there then for six months and I trained every day or well, six days a week for, for six months and I was determined then to, to kind of push on a small bit and get rid of all that self-doubt and and that's why I did I came back and got hurler of the year that year and, and sorry how, how old were you then 2007? 
2023. Okay. Yeah. So and was that because of the army, or was that like with the time away? What? 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 what I exactly think it was, was, the, I think it was the time away because I had. I was. We we're living in a camp over there. I had, I had no. No responsibilities really, as in, you know, I only had a couple of things to do. Uh, do a couple of patrols for work, and then train. You know, my meals were laid on. I had a gym up there that I could uh, could could use. Stay at the art gym. I had a track outside for running, so I had literally nothing on my mind only training. Um, you know, if I wasn't doing that in, in the job side of things, I just needed to train. So I was able to just focus my mind. You know, one track mind, and I kept kept telling myself over the course of the six months when I was training and when it got hard that this is going to be worth it. I'm going to get harder there. Fair play. So, so genuinely, so you were training on your own. In the dark places, you, you kind of want to give up, but you pushed through going, I want to become hurler of the, the yeah. year next year. That was a clear, clear focus for yeah. you. So you could you mention there about self-doubt. And so was the self-doubt gone from there or was, it, or was it a case of training that self-doubt to almost ignore it to a certain degree? Yeah, I think it probably ignore it. And I was trying to get rid of it, obviously. Nobody wants to have self-doubt, but I think um, I definitely had it for three years and it kind of crept back in then maybe towards the end of my career when you're thinking, you know, I'm not playing well here, um, you're getting a bit old and you're wondering what people in the stand are going to be saying, you know, ah, he's gone, take him off, he's finished, he's gone too old and all this kind of stuff. But for probably four or five years, that was definitely gone to the back of my mind. And in terms of that, because like, this is the biggest thing, you're obviously very successful, a very successful Kilkenny teams for years. So that idea of high performance and there's always next season, so you're only as good as your last game. There's always the next game to come. So when you got that confidence or you that self-belief was in you around 23, how did you, again, try and maintain that or progress that from there? Um, yeah, I, I, th I think it's very simple. How do you maintain it? How do you progress it? You, you go in and you work hard every day. Um, and, you know, some people will say that's a big cliche, but, but that's genuinely what it is. And you, you need to keep grounded. And I think Brian Cody was very good at doing that. Um, because obviously I played on a team where we had Henry Shefflin, we had Tommy Welsh, we had JJ Laney, Jackie Turl, you know, some of the best hurlers that ever played the game. And yet he was able to keep them hungry year on year on year. And that was because nobody was safe. You know, if if you didn't go in and work hard and do what you were supposed to do, well, the sideline was there. You know, and Brian showed over the years that he wasn't afraid to do that. And, and, and we all knew that. So, uh, and then again, you know, Lots of us on the team were very friendly, um, so we wanted to win as much as we could for, say, for Tommy Welsh, and Tommy would be the same for me, or Jackie, or Henry, or Michael Rice, or, you know, we wanted to win as much as we could for each other, and, and, and like, we were prepared to, we were prepared to work hard for it, you know, and we enjoyed it then, when, when we did win things then, we had a good you know, we had a good session after, a good crack after, and we enjoyed it and enjoyed the winter after. But once January came around, then, you know, we, we knuckled down again. You mentioned some unbelievable players there and Brian Cody and even yourself. Like, are you aware in the middle of all this success that you are surrounded and you are yourself, like, in part of this kind of players and culture that is pretty unique? You know, it's not something yeah. that comes around every year. Like, are you aware of that or are you just living it? Are you just doing it? No, you're just living it because if you get sucked up into that kind of stuff well then 
you're going to start. And did you ever though? Was it not easy to get carried away with these wins? And you know, you're, you're winning every single season. You're being very, very successful. Like, like I said, some cracking world-class players who will go down in history. Yeah, it probably would have been easy had you not the other lads around you to keep you grounded and brain to keep you grounded as well. It would have been very easy. And you know, we often see yeah, sports teams, you know, you're thinking, I don't know, the Barcelona's, Real Madrid's maybe, even the Limericks of, of today. And you're seeing, you know, how are they ever going to be bet? But can Kenny bet in yeah. 2019, you know, when nobody expected him to win? Why was that? Were Kenny that much better than probably not? Did Limerick take their eye off the ball? Probably a little bit, you know. And I think in our dressing room, we, we had strong characters that were able to keep you grounded and keep you working hard. And and then if you weren't working hard, they were able to say to you, look, listen, I don't think you're... Uh, working as hard as you can you know you need to open a small bit but then again we had characters that were able to take that as well to say okay maybe he's right whereas other other people might say well Jesus who does he think he's talking to you know that kind of way but uh, I think those strong characters were important in our dressing room well you mentioned there as well about uh, Brian Cody like so in terms of like as a man and a manager is it someone would he try to strike fear in the players is he someone you put your arm around is someone that you felt you could go and talk to, look up to, kind of what was the level of communication and the relationship with him and the players? Yeah, I think he, he had a different relationship with everyone. Um, you know, I think he was he was brilliant at sussing out who needed the arm around him, who needed a bit of a bollocking and, you know, but I always found him very, very easy to deal with. You know, you'd always be frightened of him because if you was if you had a problem, you'd always be kind of worrying, Jesus, will I go to him with that or not? But, he was always very open to that and, you know, if anybody had a problem, he'd always try and help. And it seems to be as well, you're just talking there, but kind of almost like there's a standard of what's expected from you as a player, what's expected from you being part of this group. And it's obviously from, from the top down. So this is just constantly given as instruction and what's expected from you as a man, as a player to be... Well, that's what he always spoke about was the standards, you know, the standard that was up high and... and there was no one going to bring that standard down. And if you decided to bring that standard down, well, you weren't going to be part of the panel anymore. Uh, because he felt, I suppose, and he, he used to say it a lot, duty-bound, that he had a job to do to keep the standard of Kilkenny hurling up to a certain level. And if anybody was trying to bring it down, he wasn't going to accept that no matter who you were. And maybe that was striking fear into players, I don't know, but... It seemed to have worked for for a period of time. He's he's been manager. And then what about the likes of loss and stuff? Because you're not going to win every single game. So you know when you are very successful, year on year, season on season, and shit does hit the fan. You know ha, ha, what's the reaction or what's the the standard for for that? Yeah, well, to to go back and look at and see where we could improve. Improve. You know, I think we all know in sport. You know, losses are part of part of sport. You're not going to win all the time, uh, as much as you'd like to, but. I think when you do lose, you need to reflect and see where you can improve. Brain and the management team used to do that on a regular basis. Uh, and then as players, you need to do it as well. You know, ask, the, ask yourself the question, you know, was there anything I could have done differently uh, to make the outcome what we wanted? And if you're really looking in the mirror and being honest with yourself, I think... Everybody, everybody will say after a loss that there was something they could have done. And was that an active reflection in terms of the team or is that your own internal one? What does that look like? Yeah, a bit, a bit, a bit of both because uh, when we get back together, we'd probably do a bit of video analysis and see where we went wrong. But I think over the course of maybe the winter, if it was not earned over the winter, you'd be reflecting on, on it by yourself. And also you'd be meeting up with the lads for a couple of drinks over the winter and, you know, you'd have a chat about it and say, what could we do here, here or there, you know, 
do we need to change stuff? Uh, do we need to do more training? Do we need to do less training? You know, you'd always have them kind of conversations. And then by the time you go back training, that mole is, you know, you have what you have what you think the group needs, you know, and, and Brian will have his own view on that as well. But you have what you think you need to do and what you, the group need to do. So you're basically driving each other. Uh, Brian is a very simple job then if, if the players are doing that. Because as we're talking here, we're going straight into like your success, the team, your life. And if, if you didn't know, like this is an amateur sport. And that's the one thing that, you, but you know, you, like, we're going to talk about the army now in a second, but like your life is consumed by this. This is what your life is all about. Yeah. Yet you've many different facets to your life, family, you, you've got relationships to look after. Again, you've got your professional life. So how do you keep that mindset of a professional, but you're amateur? Like you've got a lot of things that you have to juggle. Yeah, well, that's funny you say that. You're consumed by this because my wife used to always say, oh, Harlan is consuming your life. <laughs> <laughs> but like when when you're in the midst of it, you don't realise that. Um, and I would be always of the opinion, why do it if you're not going to give it everything you have? Now, I know my wife would say, but we say, you sacrifice does. But there probably is sacrifice at the top level performance. So to be successful, you've got to give it everything. Yeah. So like... But it sounds of it, you were willing to have that sacrifice because you were so clear of that goal and that outcome that you want to achieve. Well, I don't think you can achieve it if you don't give it everything. Um, unless you're with an unbelievable team that's given it everything and, I don't know, a manager lets you away with it, which today's day I don't think there's that many out there. But in fairness, in fairness to her, I think she understood where I was coming from because this was all I wanted from the time I was uh, very small. Um, before I had met her, before I had children and like that. So uh, I didn't see it as, at the time, that I was consumed by it. But when you look back on it, I can definitely see that. And it's funny, when I retired, uh, I met Charlie Carter, who was an ex-Kilkenny hurler up in the swimming pool. I was bringing uh, my daughter up for swimming lessons and I met, met him up there and he said, you retired? I said, I did. And he said, look, he said, we're all in a bubble when we're in there. He said, it's only when you get over it, you realise there's life outside. And this was about a week or two after I ret retired. And I said, that let us talk an utter tripe. I said, you know, I, he got dropped and um, he's, he's still bitter over yeah, it. Yeah. But as Carden, as the weeks went on, I said, you know what? He's dead right. You know, we just lived in a bubble for the time for the time you're involved. And once you get out of that bubble, then everything else starts mattering and hurling becomes um, less important. And it, if you look back then at your career and maybe think you could have done things slightly differently would that have, would that have benefited no, you more no I don't think I could have because when you're in that bubble you have, it has to be all about that uh, about what you want to do in there um, and that's why you're in a bubble you know because you are consumed with it you want to do the best you can you want to get maximise the most out of it and I don't think if you're not in that bubble you, I don't think you can do that well, I kind of want to take it back to the army because you did mention the first year or two being with Kilkenny and having that kind of self-doubt. But yet you were, you were being picked and you're obviously performing because yeah. you were being picked. The army itself, when did that first come in? In the sense of when did you join the army? Why did you join, join the army? Yeah, so I joined the army in 2005. I was after doing um, four years as a, an apprentice cabinet maker. But at the time, um, work, work in that field was kind of, it wasn't as... Uh, fruitful as it had been over the previous you know maybe five ten years so okay. I was after being let go of a couple of jobs and going back on the uh, social welfare and next thing I get a job and next thing 
work wasn't there. I was back in the social welfare, so I said, this is it now. I'm going into the army. My mother's partner had been in the army and I have an aunt and a couple of uh, cousins in it as well. So this is it. I said, my wages are going to be in the bank every week. I'm going into the army. So late 2004, I went into the army. We were after winning uh, our first county final in 23 years with the club. How uh, old were you then? Uh, 20. So late 2004, December December 2004, I went in and um, started the training and we kept winning then in, in Leinster and we were through to the All-Ireland semi-final and, you know, with the club uh, while, I, while all this training was going on. and th- This was physical training with the army as well. So I was I was kind of half trying to mind myself for the matches coming up as well. But it was very tough and it went on till May and I had to do another course then and brought right up to June. So December to June, about six months of really, really intense training. But in fairness, Brian brought me into the Kilkenny panel that uh, after the Club All Ireland that March and he was very good at accommodating while I was still training with the army so let me off a good bit and then probably the first year um, that I was in there as well and, and you know still picked me so like he had great belief in me I think from from the very very start and, and that would that uh, uh, army training have transferred over to the pitch I mean was there a, you know, kind of benefit from what you were doing there to well probably not physically because it was a different type of training but mentally I think the army training really stood to me can you give us a little bit of insight of why, what you did or what you I would have been <laughs> I could uh, my father when I joined the army my father told me when I was going into the army he said you last about two weeks because he, he didn't think that someone shouting at me and I, I was going to take this and but like mentally, uh, they just just test you. Um, how could I give you? A... Well, a good friend of mine's in the army, and he said they make you fail, and you find out who you really are yeah. through that failure. Like, is that something that? Like, yeah, they just they drop you down and just build you back up, slowly but surely. You know, they they bring you, they peel you right back. And give, can you give me an example? I mean, in terms of like what, what, how that would be. I, I couldn't give you an example because it's just it's a process. It, yeah, it's a process, and it just do stupid things like you know, um, you're moving on prayer. You don't give me twenty press ups. I didn't move. You did move. Give me forty. Uh, I didn't move. You're answering me back. Give me fifty. You know, and you're saying this is stupid, but like it's all a process of just peeling you right back to see what's really deep down inside you, and can you. Uh, can we build you back up? And you know, but you mentioned about having lack of confidence with Kilkenny. Was that would have been the case with the army then? Maybe as well. Because it seems like a pretty tough process to begin with before yeah. you kind of adapt to this new. Yeah, it it was, a, and that kind of stuff really got to me. You know that you couldn't answer back and say I didn't move or you know I didn't do that or you know because the instructor is right and you're wrong no matter what. As a good friend of mine now said. Uh, you'll never be right on recruits will never be right and, and it's only after you finish you realise that you know you, it's just mental torture is what it is but like physically I felt like you know I was fitting off I was after having a good campaign with the club but when you throw 30 or 40 pounds on your back in a in a backpack it's a different kettle of fish yeah. you know and you're, and you're going on route marches for 10 maybe 15 kilometres and you're gasping, you're after running out of water, but next thing you just have to keep going and there's blisters on your feet and 
And it's all, you know, the physical part builds into the mental part because when you have blisters on your feet, all you're feeling is pain. Every step is pain. And all you want to do is stop. But what are you going to do? Stop and do what? Uh, get a lad roaring in your face to get up there. So you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And eventually it finishes. And, you know, I think me, me doing that and being able to do that and having the mental toughness to keep going to do it. Well, later on in, in hurling matches then when the things get tough and there's five or ten minutes to go and, you know, the matches in the melting pot, you're able to push through. And in, in, in like the army itself, then, if, if it wasn't for the army, do you think you would have been the player? No. you were? No? No. That was a huge reason for the way you were able to show up and actually perform? It was a huge reason, reason for me uh, having the mental strength to stay going and push through barriers that I wouldn't have been able to push through um, had I not had that trend. Because it's interesting, we were talking off podcast and I mentioned that I checked your uh, Wikipedia and your occupation was a hurler. <laughs> <laughs> like you're saying you've been consumed by hurling. Yeah. But it wasn't your occupation, army was the occupation. Yeah. So like, were you able to develop and progress your career in the army or again, were you all consumed by hurling that this didn't really matter, this is more of a way of living to allow you to do hurling? Yeah, and, and that's fu it's funny you say that because I when I finished hurling and, and uh, <clears throat> when I retired from hurling, I would have always said that hurling kind of stunted my army career because yeah. I used to, uh, before going on courses, I'd be working out when I'd be training, when there'd be matches. And if it was interfering with any training or matches, I wouldn't go on the course. So I went off and done a potential NCOs course, a promotion course, but I wouldn't go on a standard course, to another promotion course, because it was the wrong time of year. And uh, that stopped you, obviously, developing in your career. In the yeah. yeah. Now, I did get some decent courses done and, and that kind of stuff because... And did you see this as a sacrifice at the time or not? Because you're so clear of Kilkenny. Yeah, I, no, I don't think it was a sacrifice at the time, but looking back on it, you know, I, I probably would have developed my career more in the army had I not been hurling. But again, you wouldn't regret it because of what you've achieved and that goal was so clear for you yeah. in terms of Kilkenny. But again, you, you've got so much benefit from the army. Yeah, and like the army were great to me through the years that I was hurling. You know, I got some great courses done. Um, you know, they, they facilitated me whenever I needed anything, you know, maybe going away on a weekend, training weekend or whatever. Um, I was always facilitated in the army and I couldn't speak... I couldn't speak highly enough about the army and sports in general in the army. And then in terms of, because you were obviously then, as you mentioned, uh, you had the great honour of Captain Kilkenny. So that kind of leadership role, again, was that, you would have developed an awful lot through the army or was this more of a natural, innate kind of thing that you have yourself? Yeah, I, I, pr I probably would have had a small bit of it uh, myself, but um, I think through the army, I would have developed leadership skills on, the pro on that promotion course, the potential NCOs course. Uh, that's, based around uh, developing junior leaders like among the defence forces. So I would have developed some um, techniques and things like that. But um, like we never, in Kilkenny, we never seen the captain as, you know, the leader because Brian would always say, it can't be one leader, everybody has to lead. You know, and some would do it in different ways. Some would do it verbally, some would do it on the pitch, some would do it... Um, a training so what was your what was your way to do it how did you I I always wanted to try and do it on the pitch now I would always uh, try and say something in the dressing room before we went out but it would never be I was never um, we'll say a Tommy Welsh that when he spoke that you know everybody st stayed quiet and listened you know I wouldn't say I would have that effect but generally I try and just do what I could on the pitch and try and lead by example on the pitch 
Because if you go back to the army then, because you mentioned you were away for six months, uh, which was a big period in, in your life to kind of transfer and have that confidence for hurling. So like, were you away on operations much? Were you, were you away much over your whole career in the sense of... I went away twice. Yeah. I went away to Kosovo in 2007 and then I went to Syria in 2015. Was it dangerous in both, both in cases or what was the situation? Kosovo wasn't too bad because uh, the, the war was over and it was just build, rebuilding. Um, the people were just rebuilding their lives. So Syria was... Still kind of a little bit touchy in that, so... Well, the reason I kind of ask is because you've got such polarities of, like, literally possible debt from what you were doing. Yeah. To maybe go back to Kenny and go, well, this is actually pretty easy. Like, yeah. it's not actually as bad as we think it is. Like, was there that or... You know, and there was. When, you, when you're when you over there and you're seeing none of the schools were open because everything was blown to shreds. And uh, you see kids, very few kids out playing on the street. And you just think to yourself, jeez, we actually live in... It's like, it's like heaven, but heaven in, in the sense of it, to, yeah, of course. You know, compared to what they have, like go out, go out the out the door, and we go down the street and have a coffee. Like, just they can't do any of this. You know, the roads are blown up. They've very little transport. Of you know, ha- shacks for houses. You know, food is it's it's not there. You know, and. You have small kids growing up and, you know, you're wondering where's their life going. Then you go to the border and people are trying to cross borders and get into Israel and Turkey and all this. That's, it, it is eye-opening out there and it, it would make you appreciate when you come home all the luxuries that we do have. And you mentioned it, so there's obviously kind of two times you're away. That first time was six months. How long was the, the six, six months? Six months. Well, and yeah. was that like further on in your career in terms of Yeah, that year? was 2015. So I only played 2016 when we came back. And did you have a choice of going away or not? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I had a choice. And look, I got to the stage where I was I was thinking to myself, look, I'm uh, I'm getting to the stage now where I could probably do a going away and getting that focused again and Focus I, again for hurling. Yeah, yeah, and I was, I was thinking, and look, the, the few pound is there as well at the end of it as well, so that doesn't hurt either. But I was thinking going away uh, to Syria in twenty fifteen. Uh, you know, I got hurt a year when I went away the last time. I'm probably, you know, I'll probably do it again. And that, that was your German thinking. Yeah, but like, I, I wasn't factoring in the thing. It was seven years since or eight years since I had. I had been over and I was now, I wasn't 23 anymore, yeah. I was now 32. Uh, kids at home and yeah. all, it's a different responsibility. Even Kids at home, I'm, I've had a couple of injuries, <laughs> you know, all this th- all these things come into, and it was only when I got back and things didn't go so well uh, on the hurling front that it actually clicked with me, oh, you're eight years older here now and you're a f- couple of niggly injuries. And was that kind of beginning at the end for you in the sense of... Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I kind of felt like no, I felt I always felt like it was still there. It just took me longer to get back into it. And like, well, I just want to go back to the army really quickly, but in the sense of kind of like this idea of like the two polarities of you know having that gratefulness of what you have at home and then seeing what you actually have to deal with when when you go away. Like in terms of the responsibility that you have as an army man when you're there. I just love to kind of get your, what's it like? Because, you know, people look up to you as some sort of protection, etc. Like, is it a, it's just a, it's a unique situation, basically. That yeah, yeah it is a unique situation. And look, um, I suppose, first and foremost, I have to have respect for everybody out there, you know, and um, this is their country, you know, it's in a, it's in a terrible state, but I, I think the, the, the best, um, 
example I can give you is we used to go on patrol in, in armoured cars and we'd always bring a few Mars bars, a few cans of Coke and all that from the mess and whatever. And, you know, if you did come across a few kids, you, you stop the car and you give them a Mars bar and it was like they're after wind the law. You know, a can of Coke maybe. And next thing, you're driving around and they're all waving and, you know, they're... This is their normal, you know. This is what they have grown up seeing is armed forces pr patrolling around, um, stopping, having a chat, you know, maybe giving them some sweets because there are no corner shops, you know. They probably never had sweets uh, in their life before. You know, they, they don't have grey houses. Probably none of them have cars. Um, and, and they're probably trying to grow their own crops on, on a small bit of land. And that's, that's all they have. You know, so and would you have felt like quite good, obviously, doing that job? That's what well, you've seen your role as. Yeah, like. well, you you feel great when you see, you know, you maybe stop and have a chat with a child, or give her give her a Mars bar, or give him a can of Coke, and you see a smile coming on her face. That's what it's about. Yeah, you know that you can give a small bit of happiness to him. Because it's interesting. Because this is the whole reason I wanted you on the podcast. I was like, uh, tell us uh, our platform and what we talk about. The podcast is like living your purpose. Yeah. And before I, I would have known you, I would have said your purpose was was hurling. Yeah. And it was. But you have the side as well that literally consumes you and you're still in the army. This is still your role. Yeah. So like living your purpose for you, is it a mixture of both? Are you amalgamating them all? How does it look? Well, it's a, it's an amalgamation of them all. Well, hurling has probably took a back seat now since I retired and I'm not doing a whole lot of hurling with the club, but um, it's probably gone from back to the army to family now. Um, you know, <laughs> just talking about hurling being consumed being consumed by hurling like my son was he was 15 uh, when I finished hurling and I'd never been on a summer holiday with him Jeez. you know so like they just took a total backseat to allow me to do the army thing and do hurling well you mentioned it then when you step outside of it and you realise oh there's more than hurling yeah. again is there any regret there regarding that so uh, there would be a small bit um, as regards that, but still, then when you when you do step over and you get to do all these things with your kids, that regret slowly but surely goes away because you're getting to do them. Now look, they'll probably they'll probably grow up and say, "Daddy was never around for the first ten years of my life," but um, but they're I think they're happy anyway. And in terms of then, because you mentioned about hurling now, obviously taking the back seat. So does that mean? That the army takes a bit more of a front seat then potentially now, or is it still yeah, similar to what it was? Yeah, well, I I would be uh, open to maybe going on and doing a, a few courses in the army to progress my career there. And would you still travel? Is that still the case of? Well, I, st away? I still can. I still can. Yeah. Um, is there any age limit to that, or what you can do, or how long you can do it for? Yeah, I'm not sure the age limit. I think forty five maybe is the age limit. Okay. So I'll have another eight or nine years maybe, hopefully. But there is. Um, uh, derogations you can get if you're medically fit and all that you can travel after that so um, but look I, 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 I wouldn't rule it out I definitely wouldn't rule it out because like I said the few pounds is, is handy uh, especially when you have a house and kids at home that yeah, are right. always wanting to do stuff um, but look it's um, it's something that's an option definitely yeah I want, kind of want to take it back then because the purpose in the sense of even why you came to us was more from the physicality side of things and you mentioned when you were 23 in the army going away and physically changing to come back to hurling. So was that change at that time kind of packing on a serious amount of muscle? Did you put on a bit of weight? What was the change in that six months to come back a better player? Yeah, it was, it was to pack on a bit of muscle and lose 
body fat. Okay. Um, and that was obviously because you had a lifestyle. It was much more easier not to go and get pissed. You were training all the time. You were eating better. Yeah. Uh, like I said, my meals were done for me. There was no fast food, which I do quite like to enjoy now and again. Um, drink was out. Uh, all, all the things that, all the temptations, I suppose, that you have at home. Um, there, there weren't that many of them over there and I was able to focus on my nutrition and my training and um, and I was able to do all that. When you came back then and you obviously you won player of the year so it, it worked physically. Did you keep those principles then year on year? Because obviously you had the, the takeaways around you. You probably had to make more sacrifices. Were you able to embody that going forward? For I, I definitely tried. I'm not sure, I'm not sure I su- succeeded but... Because um, physically, like you're not the, the biggest of men, yeah. you'd say, but you're also, I mean, like in terms of the, the position you were playing, etc. What was the whole aim? To be powerful, to be quick, to be good in the ball. But what, what was your skill? What well, was your? It was to be powerful. I always knew I had I had skill, so it was to be powerful, and I was never going to be uh, you were saying bolt running, but just yeah. to, if I could gain a small bit uh, in speed as well, that that would really help. So that was the that was the biggest aim, just to be to be strong. Because then when you came back at 23 and you, you won that, in terms of like nutrition and you learning about that and the setup, etc., was it on you to kind of go and do? Were you kind of thought about that? How, how did yeah, the training Yeah, we, had, that we had a dietitian in, like, but I uh, was only really, I suppose, in the latter years that I started kind of thinking about nutrition. Was that uh, because of how you were feeling, how you are performing, you getting older or what? Yeah, getting older and just learning more and more and there was more um, information coming coming through about nutrition and all that kind of stuff and uh, how it affects the body and sleep and hydration and, you know, when you should be eating, what time you should be eating, what you should be eating on a certain day, what you should be eating training days as to uh, rest days and this and that kind of stuff. So, um, Did you get kind of anal about it? Did you get really into it? Like, in, in uh, No, I wouldn't say I got, got like that because I'd always treat myself at the weekend and, you know, I wouldn't be too hard on myself because I, I, I think if you don't treat yourself at some stage you're going to break uh, and it, then it'll be a binge you know so I would have always been one for you know be strict all week and, and then maybe Saturday or Sunday Well speaking of breaking break then if you look at kind of like your career and physically because you've had a few injuries yeah. so like did you play true things? Did you kind of, you're off the offer a bit of time in a sense and rehabbing to come back again? Like what, what was the biggest injury that you had that kind of stood out for you in the sense of okay this is something that might actually hold me back or stop me doing yeah, what I'm I doing. never thought anything would hold me back but uh, when I came back from uh, overseas at 23 or 24 at the time um, I started getting inflammation in my pubic bone uh, so I had to obviously cut back on the training a small bit uh, mid-season and went and done a rehab plan then after uh, after that season finished and nothing was getting right so I recommended to get hip surgery and arthroscopy in my hip just to shave off the hip bone but it never it didn't um, all the muscles seemed to tighten up around around my hip after that they just got tighter and tighter I was constantly getting physio to loosen them out needles um, and I think that was probably that was probably the biggest thing that happened to me a couple of years later then I had to get Gilmore Green uh, um, and that was about really it uh, broke me thumb but I was lucky enough, pulled my hamstring once. Touch wood, <laughs> I wasn't too bad now, to be honest. Yeah, but you, you mentioned then even at the start of the podcast, actually, about kind of accepting, kind of moving in pain or yeah. having to perform in pain. So yeah. g- give me a bit of information around that. Well, I, always, kind of well I always had pains in my groin, uh, 
my grains and my hips um, and things like that. But I just thought it was part and parcel of, and my back as well, part and parcel of, you know, you're getting belts, you're pushing your body to limits, you're going to be sore. So I got to the stage where I used to be taking painkillers before training, before matches, and just getting through training, getting through a match, and, you know, we'll deal with it tomorrow. We'll, we'll just get on with it. Um, and I think... I don't know, probably wasn't the right way to go, but it certainly got me through. Yeah, of course. Um, but look, I, I used to wake up on a Monday morning after a match and I wouldn't be able to walk. Mm. You know, and when you're, when you have kids at home and a wife at home and she wants you to go for a walk or go do something on a Monday after a match and you're like, oh my God, I can't even get out of bed here. Uh, and and you can't tell her, listen, I can't walk because well, you were able to run around the pitch yesterday, but you can't go for a walk with us. Uh, you just have to get up and get on with it. And as you get older then, in terms of your career, like the moments become a little bit more common, you know, in the sense that you can't kind of move for longer after games, etc., and you're feeling more aches, more pains. Yeah, and, and they become not so much just after games, they become a daily thing. Yeah. You wake up with them, you go to sleep with them, you're getting out of the car, you have pain, you get into the car, you have pain, uh, you're restless because you have pain, you can't sit down because you have pain, you can't stand up because you have pain. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, and then I'm doing some a few jobs around the house or painting or power washing out the back. And you, you're power washing in pain, you stop, you're in pain. You just can't, you just can't win. And eventually that just breaks your mind. You need to do something about it. Yeah. And well, what did you try in the sense of like, you know, obviously you were doing, you had surgery, et cetera, but was there any, any time, massage, foam rolling, that kind of crack? What, what else were you focused Foam rolling, on? massage. I used to go to the physio. When I was with Kenny, I used to go to the physio. I'd see him before training. I'd see him the days we weren't training. Uh, I was getting needled three times a week. I was foam rolling in my own time. I was stretching in my own time. I'd be foam rolling before training, stretching before training. Ice bats. It, it's, <laughs> in, it's interesting because we, we train so many professional athletes and again, I would class you as a professional athlete based off what you do, although yeah. it may not be in name, but certainly is in terms of the training and the volume and, the, and your actual career itself. But I always wonder, like, is it healthy to be a professional athlete? Because you just push your body beyond what 99.9% of the population do. And again, sports science is so good yeah. and we know recovery, etc. But it's like even, because originally you reached reach out to us because the sense of, like I said, your day-to-day -day life was more becoming an issue in the sense of your career was over. Yeah. You're still playing, obviously, in the sense of uh, your club and all that, but it was more about living your life kind of day-to-day. -day. So the way that we train and how we train and what we've done together, had you ever seen that before? Have you, have you done that before? Like, you know, No, I, I had never seen it. Like, obviously, when I'd be doing a rehab program, the physio gave me certain things to activate your glute, to activate your uh, grain, all this kind of stuff, but... Not never worked, you know. I I used to try it. I'd be going in before training. I'd be doing it after training. I'd be doing it my days off, and I'm getting no relief here, you know. So eventually you stop. Of course. You know, why, why? Yeah. Why do I keep doing this if it's not working? And you know, like, I tried everything. Uh, I went to different physios. I went to physios that um, that weren't involved in the team I went to physios that was with my club team and and nothing really worked yes I did I get um, short term uh, relief from needles and things like that yeah and a rub maybe yeah but half an hour hour after you you're off the table here we are again 
Because that's the thing. We, we, what we do essentially is strength training. And mm -hmm. we just kind of train into areas potentially that you haven't trained before. We look at the body in a different kind of way. So in the sense of you working with us and what you've done, what would you say is the difference or, you know, is there a difference in what we do? Well, uh, first of all, there's there's movements there that I never thought I could, I could get into. Um, you know, obviously when you're doing all the movements that you give, it you know it's strength training because it's so hard. You know, whereas anybody can stand stand on one leg and throw their leg out. But if you're doing it slowly and controlled and, uh, and you're moving it into places that you would never even think about moving uh, before and next thing, slowly but surely there's no pain in my back, there's no pain in my groin, there's no pain anywhere. You know, you just, you, you get that feeling throughout your body that your body's uh, responding to something. You know, why not keep doing it? Well, that's the biggest thing, especially if, say, we're hurling or any kind of sport, you're having to perform and be strong in all crazy range of motion. Yeah. You're going for a ball, a tackle, you're trying to score a point, yet you don't train that way. You know, you just train in very linear kind of motions all yeah. the time. Or you're looking at passive modalities like foam rolling and massaging, which are fine, but you're not getting the strength and the control through these ranges that we need you to have on the pitch. And that's just the biggest thing that we see when it comes to athletes. Because really what I'm trying to segue to here now is your career now as a coach and then even potentially kind of what's coming up. Because this information probably wasn't around, again, when, when, you know, years ago. And social media obviously wasn't around years ago for mm -hmm. you. And that's a great avenue now that we have to kind of help and educate and people can, can, can kind of learn more. Because we were talking about actually uh, off podcast as well. You've had surgery and, you know, plenty of young players have to have surgery. Yeah. Like, in terms of, do you think if you had this yourself for your own career, Physically, it would have been different. Performance-wise, it would have been different. Like, what, what do you view it in, in that oh, sense? I, I think everything would have been different. I think physically, it would have been totally different. Performance-wise, would have been definitely different. Um, I wouldn't have been eating painkillers, anti-inflammatories. You know, if you have something to... if you have, Like, all I was looking for was um, something to take the pain away, something to be able to make me move um, without pain. Uh, and if I had to have that and be able to do that at the start of my career, I definitely think um, it would have improved. Because uh, although you're not playing now in a sense of like full-time, you are still playing with the club, etc. Yeah. And you can see a difference in terms of you physically playing. You can see that difference in terms of uh, recovery. And we actually talked about it as well in the studio today. You still have that thing in your head where you feel a pain. You go, oh shit, yeah. what the hell is that? And this is a real important thing to understand that your past experience and you've moved in pain for a very long time. Yeah. When you feel anything now, you're like, oh crap, am I going back the way I am? And I was talking about kind of trying to change your beliefs and looking for new information that, I oh know actually, I'm moving really well here. I actually yeah. feel really good. And that's kind of the adaptable nature of, of the human body. It's crazy. It's a, it is actually crazy because, like you say, when I feel a pinge or a twinge anywhere, no, d please, <laughs> we can't go back here. But but like I said to you, you know, I have the stair gate at home and I, just to be hopping over it. I couldn't do that last year. You know, mm. I mean, be pinching me hip, be hamstring, be killing me. Uh, I I wouldn't even attempt to do it last year. I had to open again, walk up, you know. But it's you know, and to train, it's easy to train the body. I think it's you know, if the, it's to train the mind to realize you're not your grand here. You know, this is the way it's supposed to go. And like you said, that will come over time. Well, it's interesting to say that body and mind because even as we're talking about your career. It seems like in terms of you were a good player, physically you were good, but the difference between Kilkenny yourself, it seems like the standards, the mindset, again, the conversations that you're having and yeah. what you expect from each other. And I, I've noticed this through the athletes that I've worked with. 
that seems to be the difference yeah. all the time. Like, would, would you agree? Oh, I definitely agree. Yeah, like I, I, I'd often see young lads coming through and they say, "Geez, he is the talent," but then maybe they don't make it because mentally they're not there. You know, mentally they're a little bit soft on themselves, maybe, or they don't want it as much. Um, and uh, can you train that in the sense of like for the individual? Is it a group thing? Like, what's? Uh, I think you can, but I think the individual needs to needs to want it. Take uh, that responsibility. Yeah, uh, he. If he is willing to accept, maybe he's maybe he's a little bit uh, soft in his mind. I think you can train it. I think uh, I'm fairly sure I trained well, my own mind. No, but 100. But this will mean about even about the human body. Yeah. Like you moved a certain way and you can change that. Yeah. I'm of the opinion you take the responsibility. You can change it you want in your life, yeah. including your mindset. I definitely agree. Yeah. But but now, and you in terms of you being a coach, because you came from a high performance, you came from winning year and year. These conversations and this mindset. Do you, does it piss you off to see people who don't have this then or who won't work on this or are they unaware? Like, like, well, you see, so, I think some lads are unaware and I think you have to be careful about, um, you know, the, what way you say it to them, you know, because you could get the answer, well, I'm out here. Yeah. I don't need this, like, you know, so I think that maybe they have to be coaxed into it a small bit and you have to push them to the limit you can push them and then say, look, this is this is what you need to do to get to the next level. You know, and, and if he's really, really interested and wants to get to the next level, he'll take that on board. Uh, but if you push him too early, I think he could just say, ah, this is not for me. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we're obviously trying to change the younger generation's sense of education around the body yeah. and performance. And you're now going into coaching and you're trying to change younger generation, but it sounds like, again, in terms of their mindset and what they need to have in order to reach that top level. So how are you finding that in terms of communication? How is that message being? It's uh, different. <laughs> it's different being on the other side of it. But and what's different? Why, why, why do you say different? Well, because you'd never have those conversations. You'd only have that conversation with, with the manager or with, a, with another coach, whereas now I'm a coach, so I have 30 lads to have that conversation with. Um, you know, and each, and each conversation is going to be different. Um, you know, am I going to say this to one lad and that to the other lad? Um and, and I, I don't think you can have those conversations um, off the cuff. I think you have to think about those things uh, and think about what kind of person you're going to be dealing with. Um, and is know. it a different person than when you played? I know that you played five years ago, you retired, but over your career, and when you started a 20-year-old as you and a 20-year-old today, it's a different game, it's a different mindset? Yeah, it's, like? a, it's a different generation, I think, yeah. It's a different generation. Um, and, and again, in what sense? What would you say is the difference with that generation? Well, I'd say, look, you have all that social media. You have, you know, I, I just, I just think what they see in social media is not. Um, it doesn't reflect real life. I think, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the stuff that we on the telly and all this kind of stuff, yeah. video games. Um, they take it. They take it as gospel, and they take it as the way it is. Um, and some of it might be might be gospel, but I think the majority is um, rubbish. <laughs> and then you're saying there that you've had to change your kind of approach then almost and well, learn you, a kind of a new way to communicate. Yeah, well, you do. You do because, like I said, um, I think young people these days, they take everything to heart. Um, so you have to be careful with the words you use. Um, you know, you, you just don't know what's going on at home with, with some people, you know, what's their family situation like. Um, 
and what's the work situation like? All those and would things. Would that not be the same for you though? You mentioned about your parents splitting up and you yeah. going to the army. But, but no, I, I just think I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but just like this has always been the case. And I, I feel like for some reason the younger generation don't want to take the responsibility because it's really difficult. It's hard. You know, it's, it's yeah. You're probably right. You're probably right. I, I, uh, I was certainly there when I, I was in my twenties. I'm 35 now. I went through periods of quite dark moments of like, yeah. there's responsibility on me that I'm not. I don't know if I'm able to take. And it's scary. It's fucking, what am I doing here? Yeah, but you're told to just grow up and get on with it. Yeah. Yeah, but would, would a young lad now, if you told him that, would he, what would he say to you? You know, I'm not too sure it would be too kind words. But I, I, I think you're right. I think they do need to take a certain amount of responsibility. Um, but uh, the language that we use towards them, I think, can be... Like, I wouldn't like to use the language that was used on me yeah, yeah. To, to a young person. But there is an element of um, meeting someone halfway. Yeah, there's definitely a happy medium yeah. there somewhere. And that's the idea is that we can learn from the way that we were kind of brought up and yeah. be better for as a result. Like, So in terms of the game itself, then, as you, and you look at the game as a coach now and the game that you played and the game that you're now coaching, what has changed over the last 20 or 30 years in terms of the game and the development and the um, speed and how it's played well the speed has definitely um, come up but like there, I think there's more people are trying to come up with more game plans uh, to counteract it's different a lot things. more tactical yeah, it, it is a lot more tactical yeah and I, I find myself as a as a coach and have another coach with me down there we're constantly um, things that we say we're looking out for going into a game we're constantly going away from that and saying well this happened you know, so and that we are kind of preempting, it's not happening, and there's something else cropping up. So it's constantly evolving. Uh, like I said, every every coach or every manager, um, they're not just doing the same thing as the C and the telly. They're coming up with their own stuff. You know, so they, they tell her, car far maybe you come out and play as a tournament feeder, but I don't want you to stay out there. I want you to go back in. You know, so he thinks you're still playing car far, but you'll be out here a good bit. You know, and it's that kind of different type stuff it's nearly it's nearly tactics for everybody on the team rather than just one tactic for the whole team and we were talking about uh, video analysis afterwards and you even mentioned it in the best uh, years in Kilkenny like reflection it seems to be a huge thing and you're reviewing always the work yeah. that you're doing you have plans you put them in place and then you reflect on what went well what did bad and how can we do better the next time because in terms of t what you're trying to teach the players then coming through and these, you know, young lads, 18, 19, 20, and they want to reach a level that you had got, what would you say they need to do in order to get there? Well, sure, that, that's it, you know. Reflect on the good and the bad. Accept the bad. Uh, try and improve on it. Accept. And how do you accept the bad? Because they, they, it's tough to accept. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's very tough to accept, but I think if you, you need to be true to yourself. Um, and nobody's perfect. Um, and if you go in with that attitude and say to yourself, right, look, well, I could have done a bit better on this or that. Uh, I'm going to try work on that now for the next day. Um, and if you improve that slightly, it's not, you're not going to improve it all at one go. If you improve the, the bad things slightly and improve the good things slightly, well, then you're you're going the right direction, you know, because you're, you're getting better at the things you're good at and you're getting better, getting a small bit better at the things that you're bad at. You know, so if you can keep that going, well, then you're climbing up a ladder. And in terms of then, like, the extra training or curricular outside, you know, is there anything that 
you recommend players do? Are they switching off? Because again, you mentioned about being consumed by hurling, yeah. and even now you're still being consumed by it in terms of a coaching aspect, and again, trying to develop that part of, of your career. So is there anything that you would recommend that they do to either switch off or be better? Yeah, well, look, I suppose that that they enjoy, I suppose, but um, obviously I, I'd be... There's different things for different lads, you know. What did I do? I, I didn't really... Hurling was it, uh, the gym. And I spent most of my time then trying to recover, trying to get ready for the next session. Yeah. But, whereas, you know, um, I think people are taking a lot more care of themselves this uh, this time. But, like, I was, I used to spend my time in physios and, and getting needled and foam rolling and stretching and all this. So I had literally no time for anything else along with that with my job um, you know so I had to spend a small bit of time at home as well yeah fair play and uh, quite because obviously you're doing great work with Wicklow currently and we've been talking over the last year in terms of kind of what the project you're building and kind of yeah. the work that you're doing so that is a, an exciting development that you're working on and what the, the work that you are doing yeah it's brilliant look we have I think we have around 15 under 20s in there um, this year so um Look, we started in, uh, around the middle of November and from from then to now, we, us as coaches, as a management team can see a huge difference in them. So um, they're listening and they're willing to work, they're, they're willing to improve and look, when you have that, uh, those three things in, in any team, you're going the right direction and, you know, like who's to say in a couple of years' time that um, all those under-20s won't be really pushing on uh, for Wicklow and putting Wicklow back on the map I suppose for Hurling and uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what, what comes of it because there's no doubt over the last couple of months I remind of the last year or so what you've done has been pretty uh, great work I, I'd like to kind of finish off in a segue here because when it comes to tell us and living with your purpose there's three avenues that we, we look at right so it's the creator you're the creator of your life and the power and you have proven that in the sense of going away to the army coming in having that fear you're the explorer. You're going down different avenues to try and be better as a performer, again, living that purpose. But then you're ultimately being the hero of your life. And you've mentioned some hardships. You've mentioned, you've mentioned times about where you've been down, you, you've lacked confidence, yet you've still kind of shown up. So I suppose really what I want to say was that no matter how successful you are, there's plenty of hardship along the way. So that's to be expected almost. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's, everybody has hardship in their life. Um, they have tough times, uh, times that they feel like they can't get out of but you know you, you, I think with the help of family and friends and um, and pushing on a small bit yourself you can always get get past uh, hard times hard times are there I think to to improve you yeah uh, and, once, and once you do um, get past that hard, hard time you do improve uh, and you're definitely better and that's what we, we always talk about those hard times yeah how we're able to come through those hard times and we ultimately develop and learn from those hard times when you're in the middle of them they're, they're pretty fucking awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible, yeah. But then going back to kind of maybe potentially reflection, because there's always teachings and learnings to have, particularly from those hard times, to take with us and take into it. To, yeah, to and it. look, if you can take some learnings from from a hard time, want to if you get into another hard time, well, use that teaching then in that hard time, and the hard times might the next hard time might be as bad, uh, it might be as long, and you can kick on from that then and get back into. What we all love is the good times. Yeah, too, right. And I was going to say, because especially for you, having such a good career and have won so many championships, I actually have down here, eight All-Irelands, I think got 10 Lancers, a couple of All-Stars as well. Um, but kind of new levels, new devils. 
So as you progress and as you get better, surely people are like, hold on, these fuckers think they're deadly. We have to up our game to be better than this. So it was a constantly again of like upping your game to, to be better. And especially then if you're having hard times, you still have to keep going. Well, that's it. If you're standing still, you're, you're being passed out. You know, whether you're winning or losing or whether you're in good times or bad times. You know, you, can't, you can never stand still. You have to keep moving up the ladder. Um, like I said, that's that was where we were. Uh, even with Kenny, bring yourselves that we can't do the same thing we done last year. It won't be good enough. So it's constantly reinforcing and constantly going again to yeah. the next level. Yeah, constantly and, building. And you can just take that everywhere. Then that's that's a, that's the joy of life. Life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never ending now. And if you and you're outside of that now, do you take that kind of same mindset now into your your life and what what you're doing? I definitely try to. I definitely try to. It doesn't always work that way, um, but I think if you have the the basics there, and you and you're trying your best to keep moving up a, a rung of the ladder, you're not doing too bad. If it's only two percent, three percent, you're still moving up. You're not you're not standing still. And I was gonna say your 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 poor wife. She must be delighted now that you're not consumed with her anymore. But you're still <laughs> consumed with her. So that's yeah. still the case. But how have you found just in a sense if you're not being consumed in that respect? Was that was obviously a transfer over yeah. and the adaptation to that? Was there a tough period of transfer over, or was it pretty seamless? No, it was pretty seamless. Um, I think I I was I was happy with with why what why I got I was I, I was happy with the decision I made um, I had enough I got what I got out of it uh, and I wouldn't change a thing but the time had come um, and it comes for everyone uh, unfortunately uh, careers they don't last forever they come and go and you just have to move on with life and but like from I suppose in the last couple of years when I was hurling. You know, I wanted to stay involved and coaching slash manager was was the way I wanted to do it. And some people are different. Some people want to go into the media stuff. I do enjoy doing a small bit of that as well. Um, but I think ultimately it's coaching uh, that I want to get into. Well, speaking of which, because you said you're going to be the hurler of the year, etc. So is the aim to be the manager of Kilkenny? Is, is that kind of a, a clear goal in, in your head? Well, look, I never say never. And you, look, there's, there's loads of... of I say my generation are gone into coaching and, and managers. Uh, so I'd say I'm fairly I'm fairly low on the list at the moment. But look, uh, to manage your own county would be I think if you could manage your own club in your own county um, during your managerial career you wouldn't be doing too bad. Well look, uh, genuinely it was a cracking conversation, some unbelievable uh, insight in, in, into your career, into your life and you're a very, very humble man, you're you're a lovely man and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, sir. Thank you Cheers, very much. Ryan. Thanks a million. Talk to you soon.